to the Glitch Text Rewatch podcast. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and I am so excited for today because we actually have a two-part episode. We have Eric Robles, one of the co-creators of Glitch Text, is going to be speaking with us the first half of the episode. And then the second half, we will have the rest of our illustrious team of people that are going to be talking about Karate Trainer and will be watching the show. So Eric, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Angela, you are awesome. And thank you for hosting myself and our entire Glitch Text team with this amazing podcast that you have done. So it is my honor to be here today. Awesome. And this episode, you were telling me about this earlier. This is a very special episode for you because the main, you know, the big bad, the boss at the end of it is based on your Sokai, your grandmaster, Tak Kabuda, who is also the namesake for Miko's last name. So I definitely want to talk about that, but then just anything else you want to discuss about the episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this episode in particular, you know, it hit home for me. And, you know, the reason I'm saying that I Karate Master specifically was because when we were thinking about casting this and we were talking about this, I brought it up to Dan. I was like, Dan, look, I think it would be so awesome. What do you think if we would bring in my instructor of 35 plus years? You know, I started martial arts when I was seven years old and I've been training ever since. And I've just learned so much and grown to be the individual I am because of the lessons that I learned in karate, the discipline, the respect, all these amazing values. And so what an amazing way to come full circle in my life and career to bring in somebody who basically raised me to do a voice for the show. So that's what, <laughs> that's what we did. I reached out to him. And by the way, uh, his name is Tak Kubota or Takayuki Kubota. And he's got an amazing history. He's actually 86 years old, believe it or not. And he's training and uh, teaching like if he was a 25 year old, even to this day. So, I mean, that's the spirit that this man has. And it's just been such an honor for me to be a part of the martial arts community as a kid, especially, you know, growing up in tough environments, it was a way that my parents just kind of like took me out of that environment and kept me focused into this environment. So, like I said, when we got to this episode, I reached out to him and asked if he'd be interested in voicing the character. And of course, he was like, yes, of course. <laughs> 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 and he did. He came in. I got to tell you that it was very special and heartwarming for me to have him show up. And I was able to show him around the studio. You know, outside of the dojo, we've never had a relationship because the dojo is the home. And that's where I, I've been with him for so many years. So having him outside of his element and into my element was, you know, just pretty amazing, right? To see him being in awe of what I do when all my life I've always been in awe of what he does. So, you know, he came in and did an amazing job for us on this special episode of Karate Trainer. So it definitely was one of these things where I'll never forget and I'm so grateful for. So this episode really kind of has it all, like most of our episodes. But again, it just hit home for me in a way that I just will forever be thankful for to Nickelodeon, to Netflix, to Dan, to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And what was his response? Had he ever worked on 
a television show before, either as a consultant or done a voice, considering, you know, his career and everything that he knows about, you know, martial arts? Believe it or not, he, he has. He's been a well-known, established actor in his own right, you know, because, again, he's been doing it for so many years. He started off as a consultant to a lot of the police departments and just became this worldwide instructor. He started what is now known as IKA, which is International Karate Association, and he established his own style, which is Gosokuru style. And because of that, the police officers and what have you, they all kind of, everybody just knows everybody. And especially in that industry, when you're doing movies, you're looking for professionals who know that specific skill. So he had been doing movies since I want to say maybe the 60s or 70s. There's The Mechanic with Charles Bronson, a 70s movie. <laughs> and like, I mean, if you go to the dojo, you see his wall of fame, you know, and you see all these actors. So he definitely had experience as being an actor that fights in that way or teaches in that manner. But as far as voice casting, that's something that he was very foreign to. And it was pretty fun to just kind of have him in the booth. And, you know, him and I were in the booth together during the recording. So we were acting things out because he's always been used to physical acting, right? So while we're, even while we're in the booth, and you obviously can't see this, I mean, he's making faces, he's doing gestures, and, you know, like he is the karate master as he's acting out these scenes. That's wonderful. I love that he's just completely getting into it, just getting into the character as a whole. And now regarding your martial arts training, did that affect or how did that affect when you were going over the script or talking to the board artists or the designers? Were you, were you stopping by people's cubes going, hey, what if, what if you did this or what if you did this <laughs> or try this out? You know, here's the thing. As much as I would like to say, yes, I was all over that. We have such an amazing crew. At the end of the day, everybody just takes ownership of what they want to do and they do their research and whether I was looking at stuff and saying like, hey, we could do this, we could do that. In our reality, you know, our team just owns what they do. And a lot of that credit, I definitely can't take credit for because our team is so sharp and they were always doing their own research. Even before we got into the handouts, they're doing their research. And we had an amazing director, Phil Alora. He has such respect and discipline for his shows and he himself would do his research and then the board artists would do their research. I think this episode in particular, it had, let's see, Ben Choi, it had Sheldon, Michael Fong was boarding on this. Also uh, Jules Bridgers was helping board on this, but everybody just really kind of commits to doing their research. So these guys really just, like I said, they really owned the storyboard process on this. That's wonderful. I love it. Just collaboration, team effort on all sides. That's and how really can you good. not get inspired, right? When you're yeah. hearing all these cool like grunts and ah, <laughs> yeah, you know, all these great key eyes. So the audio was fun to just put together and also to hear his voice, right? When he would speak, it's so authentic because it is his voice. And I hope that when the audience is watching this again, they can really kind of just hear, you know, tune in just a little bit more and really hear the authentic voice that comes from this character. That 
is rad. I don't know what else to say other than that's just <laughs> that's just really cool. So Eric, any any last tidbits or any last words of wisdom or anything else you'd like to tell the audience about this episode? Yeah, the episode in general is so fun. You know, right from the get-go, Miko and Five, you see that friendship. I mean, we have so many references like we do in every episode. This one had the Metal Gear Solid kind of uh, run through, <laughs> through the whole episode. Again, the friendship that Miko and Five have right from the get-go is so fun. And this episode, it's silly. It's very silly. I mean, having Five hiding from Phil, right? Or, or just saying like, <laughs> nothing to see here down the hallway. I mean, all those moments that played out, they played out perfectly. I remember when Five got that phone call on the cell phone and then decides to throw it on the ground and smash it like it's like evidence. And then he's just like, oh my gosh, what did I do? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, like, wait, I'm going to need that later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, you know, those were some of my gags that I had put in there because, you know, I, I always end up defaulting to comedy because that's just like a place I like to be. Uh, so as much as the show has heart, as much as it has action, it has these comedy elements, which are full on through this episode. And I'm really proud and excited that we were able to, to accomplish that with this episode. But I think in general, yeah, it's just one of our, our really amazing episodes. The music for this, Brad Breek, really did this great 90s kind of Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, Tekken kind of vibe to it. Our designs, Mayumi, Nose, and Iranio Marimba, you know, they did the designs for this. I, I believe Evan Palmer also did. And they did such a great job with really capturing the essence of the designs of these characters and having fun with them at the same time. So all in all, I'm just so excited that you guys are either going to watch this or have watched this and now get to share it with our crew as they talk about more about this episode. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. Yes. Thank you guys and enjoy the show. It's so fun. <laughs> Yes, indeed. And make sure to follow Eric on social media. On Instagram, his handle is at Robles. That's R-R-R-R-O-B-L-E-S. And on Twitter, the handle is at Legit Eric Robles. And that's L-E-G-I-T-E-R-I-C-R-O-B-L-E-S. And I'll have that info in the show notes. And now, part two of Karate Trainer. So with me today are Rachel Hastings, our production coordinator, Katie Shaughnessy, one of the other production coordinators, Stephanie Shea, the voice of Miko's mom, and Dan Milano, co-creator of the show. Hello, everyone. Hey, everybody. Hi. Hey. Yeah, so Rachel, let's start with you. Since this is the first time you've been on the show, tell us about your experience on Glitch Text, because you started as an intern, correct? Yeah, I was the first intern on Glitch Text. So I've been on since the first episode. That kind of was like my, my first step into animation. So that was a long time ago now, it feels like. <laughs> and then I was a PA for a while and then coordinator. So kind of like went through the whole the whole journey there. <laughs> so about five, that? four or five years, right? Yeah, four and a half years. Yeah. Wow. When was or 2016? So. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because you started, I think, you started, yeah. Nick, I think like two or three months before I did, right? Because didn't you start in October? Yeah, I started in October. So yeah, that would have been like three and a half years then, I guess. Yeah. So Very yeah. cool. So what was it like going from intern to PC and just seeing <laughs> the, the entire show ramp up? 
that was a blast. I, I have to say it was like probably the best experience I could have imagined going in as an intern because I felt like I was just included in everything and all the production team was fantastic with, you know, just kind of training me as if I were a PA and helping me learn the ropes. Yeah, so I, I don't really know how else to describe it, but it was it was a fantastic experience. Awesome. Well, very glad to have you and looking forward to hearing about all the ins and outs of production because this episode is chock full of very cool things. So then that brings me over to Stephanie. So welcome back, Stephanie. Glad to have you on the show again. So very curious, what were some of your favorite moments about this episode? I feel like I, I, I felt like, you know, the whole karate thing because I, as a kid, my mom made me take karate. So it was just like fun seeing and revisiting all that kind of stuff. It occurred to me just right now that like, this was my first mom role, really. And then since then, I've gotten to play like other moms, <laughs> and, which never like, I never identify because like, I'm not a mom, I don't have kids. I'm old enough to be a mom, but I'm not a mom. And I never thought of myself as that. But then I was like, oh, yeah, but like Glitch Tech was my first time really being embracing the Asian mom thing. You know, I actually this year emailed my agent being like, so I guess Asian moms is something that I do now. <laughs> and then she's like, yeah, you should keep that in your back pocket, which is never something I ever thought, you know. <laughs> But yeah, anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. So glad that the show could be part of that journey to the momness within. Yeah. Very good. And then we also have returning Katie. Welcome back, yeah. Katie. I just, I live here on this podcast. I love it. Um, <laughs> glad to have Hello. you living here on the show. Uh, <laughs> I love this episode. I worked on this one. I did breakdowns for this episode. I didn't take karate, but I did take Taekwondo as a kid. And I actually asked my mom to sign me up for Taekwondo because I was in Brownies, which is like Girl Scouts. And I hated Girl Scouts. I was a terrible Girl Scout. I didn't like it. And there were after school extensions offered at my school. One of them was Girl Scouts. The other was Taekwondo. And I was like, hey, mom, can I do Taekwondo instead? My mom was <laughs> like, yeah, sure. So I did Taekwondo for about three years as a kid and I loved it. And I love martial arts. At some point in my life, maybe I'll go back to it. But yeah, and I love this episode too, because I also have a little sister and an older sister. And the relationship between Miko and Lexi does remind me of my little sister and I. And yeah, I just, I love that sister relationship. Do they have belt colors in Taekwondo? They do. I think it's similar to the order of karate belts. I'm not sure because I actually didn't take karate, but I know like you get a white belt first and then you get yellow belt, yellow, orange yeah. belt, blue belt. So yeah, there are belts. And then black belt is the highest, I believe, in Taekwondo. Katie had a story by credit on Collection Quest. In a way, I think some of that was also based on discussions had about this because just in either in official submissions of story premises that Katie made or just in talking with she and, and Rachel and Emma and Julia, everyone on our production team about their experiences with gaming, there were a lot of recurrent themes and Katie would talk all the time about her relationship with her two sisters. And at one time, I know we were talking about a story where maybe... Um, Lexi, because she's younger, is playing younger games, like there yeah. have been so many Barbie games over the yes. years, and how <laughs> older siblings would judge that harshly, but some of those games are actually really fun. So we were always trying to look at ways to show that everyone's gaming experience is valid, and to sort of try to 
just example behavior that that was anti-snobbery, really. And so there were elements of that in this story that made their way into Collection mm-hmm. Quest instead, because other factors sort of took yeah. over here. And that was happening a lot. Our story changed quite a bit, not as we were making them, but in the outline stage, they changed radically to the frustration of everyone, but I think to the benefit of every show. <laughs> I definitely think the way that Miko kind of, I think that the thing that stands out to me the most about this is like Miko is not teaching Lexi at first. She's kind of like, no, let me do it. I'll do it better than you. And I will say I am guilty of being that person when I was a kid where my little sister would just want to like learn how to play the game. And I would a hundred percent get super impatient because she would be doing it wrong. And I'd be like, no, give me the controller. And then like, I would do it. And then she'd get all huffy. And I feel like as I got older, I definitely, we play games together still as adults. She'll want to come over to my apartment every weekend and be like, can we play Mario? I've gotten a lot better about letting her take the wheel and letting her learn how to play the game. And sometimes she'll even try and give me the controller back because it's too hard. I'm like, no, no, you have to learn. You have to learn how to play this part. So yeah. It's it gets good. better. We want to try to avoid the tropes of siblings who are just mean to each other or don't get along because it always comes from somewhere and it's usually just a difference of point of view. And so that's usually what's going on here. The second they realize what's at stake for each other, they change their tune. And that was true of Miko and her sister Nika as well. Before we start, I also want to say that Rachel and also Katie, they literally wrote the book on production. The people who came on to work on the show worked from manuals that that Rachel had set up. She and Katie and Emma had prepped uh, and Adam. Eventually, they were also taking on the extra burden of actually doing a crew newsletter. We had an internal oh, newsletter, yeah. started like every month and it became every couple months just for morale and excitement and you know, because we were just so proud. Yeah, that started when I was an intern. And then we ended up making that more of like an intern project for future interns. So it was really fun to kind of pass the torch on. We had more interns come on the show. <laughs> Do we? We'll have to share some of those. I was going to say, does someone have, I feel like I, I have, have those on a, on a hard drive somewhere, <laughs> but like I used to do, there was a little section called Miko Gamer Hype. Yeah. And I basically wrote it from Miko's perspective, but it was really just me <laughs> being like, <laughs> I, it was really just my actual hype about a game I had just discovered. And I'd be like, guys, have you heard of this game? Like blah, 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 blah. And it was like this ADHD rant about a video game. And I was like, this is really just me, but in Miko's <laughs> It's Katie's so cool. There's yeah, everybody got a chance to like several people on the crew were like writing for it and providing art for it. And just, you know, when everyone had more than enough to do <laughs> already, but it became this passion project that as one of the EPs, I just appreciated it so much. It just blew my mind. I still have them. I have them all in a scrapbook and maybe we could share them at the end of this podcast. Um, great. Yeah. I'm also so happy with how much mileage you guys are getting out of talking about Miko's mom because she's such a strong influence on the show and on Miko throughout. They're like a major part of each other's lives. I regret that we don't have the episode that's even more about the two of them, but maybe we could talk about that in the future. That would be awesome. Yeah, that I want to see. I think I've, I saw one while you guys were there. So yes, Rachel, I'll be hitting you up for that because I know people would love to see that because they are they are very entertaining. And you guys did put a lot of work into it. I have to say, a lot of work went into the show, not just the show, but everything surrounding the show and all the artwork and all the ancillary things that you guys had around the office and the studio and the art gallery and everything. You guys really put your heart and soul into it. And it was really, really cool to see all of that. 
Thank you. Everything was a production. I think that's Mm -hmm. true. Decorating everything. (laughs) Did anybody say, I feel like I might've mentioned this on the podcast before, but the storyboard artists used to have, they had this area where all their cubicles were and they had this big wall that kind of like wrapped around near their cubes. And they covered the wall with post-it notes, just fun fan art doodles of personal stuff, but like a lot of like glitch text fan art of ships and funny things. And I don't know if anyone kept all of those, but there were some really great ones of just all of our characters and silly parody scenarios. And they were really great. And I feel like they were just always over there on their breaks, just doodling. And it was just so much fun to see it start on one side of the wall and then progress all the way around. I took as many as I could. And a lot are posted on my Twitter and and then others when they were ready to leave the show or whether they were ready or not, eventually we all had to pack up and everyone took as much as they could. But I have a whole binder just filled. I have everything because I just want to unearth it someday and show everybody. It's, it was so fun. Yeah, there were never idle hands ever. So. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing that could be said. I never went up to the floor and saw people going, I'm so bored. We just don't have anything yeah. to do today. I said no one ever. There's a crew of obsessive compulsive makers and everybody has more than one thing going on. I don't know if you've said yet, Stephanie, Stephanie produces, Stephanie directs, like Stephanie is beyond just being an amazing actress, is like involved in just so many interesting projects and is such an incredible career, do a whole podcast on it. And that's why I was so glad to have her in and to work with her because it was a chance to really talk about who that character was and how we present her in a way that's fresh and that's kind of honest because again you know the asian mom or the tiger mom is like a thing and that thing is based in a kernel of truth but it's not who our mom needs to be right by the way i'm currently finally reading that book oh wow (laughs) (laughs) i'm only like currently finally reading that book so it's very interesting and i could relate a lot to the book I think because when everyone's talking about Tiger Mom, it was like really being distilled into what maybe one or two reviewers took away from it. Yes. Versus the holistic approach. And I think that's a lot in even your guys' approach to like Miko's mom, right? Yeah, I mean, we never used that term ever. To us, it was Miko's mom and who's Miko's mom. With threads that come from your mom, from several of our team members' moms, even aspects of Monica Ray's relationship with her mom a little bit. And they all just cross-lapped in this place of well-meaning, but very strict and represented the kind of parent that just genuinely doesn't understand the gaming thing and all that it provides because they can only see it through however their parents saw it. And it's like just purely generational. But all she wants is to see her daughter, who she knows you know, has a unique personality and and way of learning. She just wants the best for her. It's not like she's anti-anything. Yeah, there were a lot of discussions before recording. I guess what I'm saying, like now having in the process of reading the book, it doesn't seem so much like a trope. Oh, oh, I see. Good. Yeah, if you take the character and the author and all the context that she provides. The label. Yeah, you understand it and it doesn't seem like such a stereotype. Oh, that's wonderful. Good. So, which is similar in the sense of like our approach to exactly how you described Miko's mom. It's not about any stereotypes at all. It's about very specific, well-intentioned things based on elements of personal experience and culture, you know, that results in a certain reaction to a situation. Well-intentioned is literally something that was on a index card in the writer's room a lot. 
all the characters are well-intentioned, even Mitch, except Mitch is completely self-serving. And he's the most villainous because we needed a villain in the pilot, like a straight up villain. And then we tried to, you know, show the dimensions of him more as we went on. I actually regret how much of a villain he is in the pilot, but you got to start somewhere. That's why pilots are rough, kind of a, you know? A, he's a dingleberry. He's just yeah. a little bit of a <laughs> and it, even in that one, he ad- admits, you know, he's desperate. This is all he knows and is trying to protect, you know. So anyway, but well-intentioned, I think, is the big is the big intent. And everyone in this episode as well is well-intentioned. And they just butt heads when their goals kind of get crossed up. That is true. So let's get into it. So as we said, this is season one, episode nine, Karate Trainer. And from the synopsis on Netflix... Eager to level up her skills before a karate tournament, Lexi convinces Miko to fire up a video game simulator to help hone her moves. So listeners to the show, you know what to do. So at the count of three, we will uh, press play on Netflix at home. We have it set to zero, zero, zero. So not before, not after, but on three. So everybody at home all together now. One, two, three. Oh. Pew pew. <laughs> a Netflix series produced by Nickelodeon in cooperation with Disney, Warner Brothers, and <laughs> everybody. <laughs> yeah. uh. So here they are. <laughs> oh my god! I, I this is my Look favorite. At the light in the. That's beautiful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Five's like side story throughout this episode. I forgot how much it makes me laugh. (laughs) If season one uh, is a big experiment to try things, this was the episode that just went for full-born comedy with High Five and how Mm -hmm. far could we push him and be silly with him. And (laughs) we're so glad. I love that. I love they look up at the ceiling and just go, no, it's just Miko doing yeah, what she yeah. does. Back to the issue at hand. <laughs> They're used to it. This scene was longer too. They're trying to motivate their daughter and they don't understand the disconnect. Oh yeah. yeah. She's mocking Karate Kid. She's like, that does not sound like a movie I would uh, enjoy. No one cares yeah. about that movie, dad. <laughs> this had, is had my we, life. Had, had we known this was going to be on Netflix, we could have tied in Cobra Kai. Oh, yeah, seriously. <laughs> He's like, and the villains, they're just misunderstood. <laughs> and Miko is like totally I, uh, a cartoon character here as far as... Yeah. Also, that's so gross. She <laughs> I know. like takes a bite and doesn't even swallow it. She just spits it out. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's like your family was having a very nice lunch, and now there's <laughs> just this weird bit of spit up sandwich in the middle of the table. Mm-hmm. No, one, no, one, of no one acknowledges. Sister. She reminds me a lot of my sister in this scene because my sister is total ADHD and just like this, that, this, that, this, like all <laughs> over the place. And it was it was always like one of those things where like she completely out, like upstaged everybody in every situation. <laughs> I mean, I was this child in the family. <laughs> I, was I was too. I think Monica was. I think my daughter is. And when you combine that with a lot of video games and TV, you do walk around your house like your Bugs Bunny or Kermit the Frog because you've got all these like quips Waka in your Waka. head too. And yeah, you're kind of <laughs> on, you know. If only to amuse yourself. (laughs) 
And I like Lexi too, because she knows. Nobody else in the family knows, but she just, she knows that Miko is up to something. Yes, so that was set up in the pilot as a thread. And there were a lot of ways we were going to go with it. And ultimately we decided it would just be kind of a bargaining chip in the events of this story. And we recycled some footage from the previous episode with the implication that Lexi had been following them with her drone. Oh yeah, okay, fun fact about this. Uh, So that little drone, I think we actually put it, I think we put it in that episode that we just saw that footage of. Like, I think it snuck into 107. Oh my gosh, I have to check. We did talk about it quite a bit and I don't remember if we were actually able to get it in by by the time we did animation, but yes, we absolutely intended to. And I'm sorry, I don't know, we have to look. Yeah, I'm like, I can't remember. I think it was the plan. Yeah, I remember that discussion, but I don't remember if it actually made it all the way through animation. And I want to shout out the design team because their looks great. I'm I'm just looking at all their posters and all their artwork. And I think this is totally clean and teen room. Yep. BG and design, they did such detailed work. And we're always asking Mm -hmm. so many questions and looking for reference. And this is a faithful, amazing (laughs) parody. There's there's so many references of video games like Easter eggs in here. This show is so fun because you didn't have to wedge them in forcefully. It was very organic to have them as opposed to like stopping a story to make a like a setup punch joke about, you know, a pop culture reference. It was just so easy. He's got to be playing a game like we're going to be having him behave this way later. So you need to set it up. I love this. (laughs) scoring points off the berg (laughs) oh he's just totally in it the whole time (laughs) see if everyone had that level of craft with their job everybody would just do a much better job (laughs) at their job (laughs) just pretend that you're a secret spy every day glitch text has this mixed tone where we want it grounded just enough in reality that you relate to them, but we also want to be a cartoon. And here's a moment that typifies this, right? <laughs> he smashes the phone, but then he's worried about it. Yeah. And, and, you know, in a really broad cartoon, he'd just smash it. But because there's consequences in our world, he's like, oh no, like, yeah. <laughs> what did I just do? If I actually break this, then I needed to go take it uh, down the street to the cell phone repair store. Yes. And another thing is just taking a moment to explain, you know, instead of five just being in this mode, Miko asks him, are you in this mode? And he says, yes, I am. And now we've established (laughs) a reality that exists. And because Miko accepts it, the audience accepts it in my mind. so dramatic i know it's just being very helpful just making sure everything's together as it should be erica costa wrote the primary draft of this and uh his daughter was in karate at the time which was part of the inspiration for the the story was she enjoying karate or was she just like ah this thing I uh, yeah i think she was she 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 wasn't she i think she was taking it pretty seriously and i think that was part of his comment like seeing her in her her gi like just 
training as seriously as she could. Oh, I love this bit. <laughs> I'm like, how many times has Bergy been brainwashed? Like, or just like mind wiped? Yeah, probably quite a few. Like, <laughs> interesting though, because like I've had so many people tell me that Bergy is their favorite character, and I was like, I did not see that coming, and I love it. I love wow. that he's so appreciated. He's great. <laughs> I'm so glad. I think because he's the most like, like relaxed and laid back. So I think you see Bergie and think, I know someone like him or I am him, you know? It's like, you can kind of see that guy or that oh, girl absolutely. out and about. <laughs> Lex is just not impressed by it. It's like you're in like the secret place, all these secret doors, and she's like, "That's fine." I know we we literally didn't have time. So uh, when once the smart room comes on, we kind of show that she, so far she hasn't seen anything that's like really super magical or anything. But yeah, even the way Miko recounts like what what they're there to do is so fast because we're just like, we, we only have 22 minutes to tell this story. And anyway, I need you to take me in the smart room because that's what needs to happen. And Five literally says like, okay, I won't, I won't ask any questions. He's like, he's on, a, he's on a, mesh, a mission. It's a secret mission. That's yep. Yeah, business as usual. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. oh, all the interactive menu stuff is so cool. Yeah, Mika's more excited than anybody else. He's like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to train you. You're going to learn. She's like, okay. <laughs> the network kind of thought at first that the show was going to be about the techs like shrinking down and going through the wires like Wreck-It Ralph or something and going yeah. into games every week. And, and we were like, mm, we want to base it in reality, but they wanted more game environments. And so we had to come up with reasons. And so that's why we created the smart room so that they could essentially go inside a game without a glitch in this situation. The designs for this episode are so great. Oh yeah, these backgrounds. And I remember the boards too, Characters. like the boards were really good. How did you decide to have a chicken? Because this is a really funny idea and just how did that happen? <laughs> the writing was to have styles to, tr to try these funny styles and then we just talked about what animals artists wanted to see and the artists actually got and designers got to kind of pitch what they were excited to draw so I think we came up with chicken frog oh, and um, this, monkey based on that wait chicken this is style my fighting is not a real thing I, it may be best gags in the whole episode <laughs> so this is another show right here. It's like <laughs> let, let me come over there. <laughs> just I'm just going, like, no, no, I no, didn't no. even need to say a thing, and yet he did. Yep. <laughs> this whole thing could have been avoided. I know. <laughs> like, let's not tackle your manager. He's actually supposed to have a B logo. Of I know, yeah. No B. <laughs> and this right. is this little board gag. I love it. I know. As they just slide. He's a little. <laughs> oh, a look little at this. Run. 
I remember when we were doing animation uh, retakes and things on these on this episode specifically, there was so much good rough animation that came in, and it was fantastic <laughs> to see it all come together. Uh, Truly, I think I have some footage somewhere of us looking at clips, and some of this made its way online with little teases. Who burped? Who burped? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. We usually did have someone do it, but that, that might have been an, an effects library oh. burp. I'm always impressed by super big burps. And I'm like, <laughs> burping. Stephanie Lemlin, uh, who played Eep on Dawn of the Crudes, was an amazing belcher. Yeah. And she, she almost played Nancy McGillicuddy. Um, I really wanted to work with her again. Ultimately, uh, we'll talk about that character when it comes up. This episode's just so silly. Yeah, the difference in Miko and Fi's teaching styles is just like opposite sides of. <laughs> yep. I just picked, he reminds me of someone from CSI. It's like, I'm looking deep within to figure out all of their weak points, you know? It, it's funny cause like I, I'm a gamer and my roommate is a gamer and my roommate's like my best friend from childhood. And she is a very patient gamer who takes like her time and I'm a button masher. And so like we were playing Bioshock the other day and she was just taking so long. And I was like pulling my hair out like, oh my God, just mash the buttons. She was like, no, you have to be patient. And it's just like so funny when you see everyone's gaming styles, like everyone has a different style of gameplay. Yeah, they're all valid, but you know, the basics here is that, you know, five is more methodical. And I think that probably works a little better for Lex, but it's the, the combination of both that, that probably work best for her. There's, but you can button mash in Bioshock. I mean, like not button mash, but like I'm a very reckless player. Like I just kind of like, I just like run in like after like big daddies. Like I don't, I don't okay. care. And okay. she like hides around corners, like being all like tact. Like she's, uh, she likes to like you know, take yeah. her time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, wait, wait, and gather stuff and be prepared yeah. and bring and the I'm fight like, to you. And I just like come in guns blazing, like this is what I got. <laughs> I'm, I'm a button masher. I'm not a very good gamer, but I'm a button masher, which means on like fighting games, I generally win in the very beginning because the other player doesn't know the moves yet. But I, and I can yes. yeah. button mash really, really fast, right? And but then once they start learning actual moves, I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah, that is, like, yep. <laughs> that is the wall of the button masher yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always I that's like I love um tutorial mode as well like because I am totally Miko in tutorial mode where I'm like I just skip tutorials I learn as I go like I don't I don't listen to the instructions <laughs> that's kind of my personality too <laughs> I'm like I'll, fi I'll figure it out eventually <laughs> so if there's something that kind of resonates in gaming culture those are valid things we like to look at for stories. And part of the premise of this episode was based very specifically on the idea that your friend knows how to play a game, they're trying to teach you, and you're overwhelmed. And that, that's the whole concept. Your friend knows how to play Mortal Kombat, you don't, and they expect you to pick it up in two seconds and you get your butt kicked and you freak out. That's what this entire montage and the tension of all this has been about. Because it was fun just to say, well, the show can not just sort of parody games and stuff. We're also just trying to look at 
you know, feelings you get, the feeling of like playing with your best friend, like some of them are positive, some of them are negative, you know, but they all ring true. Yep, here they go. Yeah. I love all the extras Steph and too. D. Were those any particular people, the people on the bleachers? Uh, I think they're just incidentals. I think, <laughs> I don't think, some of the incidentals were based on people at Nick and some were based on like the kids and stranger things and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mentioned that on a podcast once and I was like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but. <laughs> they were changed so much. They're practically unrecognizable, but their initial yeah. coloring and stuff, it was, it was much clearer. Usually when it came to incidental assigns, we as production would just look at the storyboards and be like, we think it's this person. And then the director of the episode would be like, yep. And then that was kind of the process we would do. <laughs> oh, so yeah, so to... Dude, there are no small so parts sweet. on this show. Every character, even small, we <laughs> hope has an impact. And it's usually because of the actor. So many great people did great reads on this, including Stephanie. And ultimately the part went to Kat Tabor. Um, Really just because Kat, she had taken karate and she knew so many lines and moves and was very specific. So the akutasai and all that, like that was her improv. Oh, yeah. and so yeah. she just brought a little something extra and we felt like, well, you know, then then we can do that with her. She may have ideas that will affect our boards. And there was a little more of that character originally too that we had to trim. You originally saw her parents, which were much, who were much more aggressive. And Miko's parents were meant to sort of see them and kind of see a reflection of themselves and decide to like pull back off Lexi a little bit. But we ultimately wanted to remove that. We didn't want the parents to be making a mistake or anything. It's, we just wanted them to be supportive. But again, just like with Miko in the other episode, they don't understand. They just don't understand what this means to Lexi and that it can't just be fixed, you know, with I, a I milkshake. The parents have Lexi hats. I like, love that I, too. That's so cute that they have little hats with her name. Yeah. They're very supportive. They are. They're good people. We can't understand what, you know, people from another generation are going through in every moment. It's impossible. So you just do your best. But here's where Miko is, she's been figuring it out, you know, that it's not just her annoying little sister. This is such a cool fight sequence. I love it. Oh. Chicken mode. That's so right. Cool. It's a master. It's like mega rooster. <laughs> and I love, I'm watching it subtitles. It just says clucks aggressively. <laughs> clucks aggressively. <laughs> This uh, voice you've been hearing is Tak Kubota, who was the namesake for Miko's last name well before this episode was made. And he is a, um, a karate instructor in LA, who I believe is in his 70s when he recorded this, but still practices. And he has taught amazing martial artists for film and television. And he's a very good friend and mentor of Eric Robles. Yes, that, that he sounds really like, like his very powerful for like a 70 year old. You oh, yeah. I mean? He doesn't sound like that voice doesn't sound like a 70 year old. Okay. No. 
I'm like so engrossed in this battle. I'm just oh, like, yes. <laughs> I know, I'm just watching. It's like, wait, wait, commentary, commentary. <laughs> We had to convert the script to to Japanese, and we had to have him convert the things he was supposed to say for us. It was really fun. Oh wow! When you say convert, do you mean you had him read the lines for the Japanese audience? Or? Yeah, he he translated. Um, his English is okay, but you know, he really had to, he, he wasn't comfortable reading it and saying it in English. And we didn't really want him to either. We wanted the legitimacy of him just using his native language. Oh, oh this is so cool. <laughs> there she goes. <laughs> I love that we got to do that. Yeah. <laughs> the getaway. Going back to the sibling code. I guess the sibling code. Yes. I also love the score in this part. It's just so epic. <laughs> oh my god. So the funny. design for Alexi here is just like so cool. Was this I think it was based on a little bit of Mega Man and something else. I'm trying to remember what else. It feels very Cora to me as well. I know this episode I think was boarded by was it Ben Choi and, oh, who did this episode? I don't know if it was Alex. It says in the credits, but uh, the board artist who did this episode did such a great job. I wish I had my printed notes in front of me. I'm, it was team B for sure. I think it was Phil, Phil Laura's team. Okay. I just know that that team kind of wrote, it might've been Michael Fong. Oh yes. I can look it up while we're talking and get back to you on that. And Brad oh. Breaks music. Oh, oh, I think this was Sheldon so Bella. I think it was Sheldon Bella. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yep, yep, yeah. Yeah, oh, right. man, Shel Sheldon did a lot of um, Castlestein. That's right. Um, or Ca and Castle Buds. Crawl. And uh, all, all, any fight sequence you see in like Castle Crawl or this episode, I believe were boarded by Sheldon Bella. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to be wrong, but look, let's look it up and see. Yeah. I'll look it up. Let's see. So, karate trainer. This was discussed quite a bit. the The concept of the virtual trophy, because without that, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have Lexi kind of being able to understand Miko better, you know, and what virtual mm. trophies mean to her. Okay, so this was it was Ben Choi, Michael Fung, yep, and Sheldon Bella. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sheldon's boards were so insane. They were basically animated when they came in. Everybody, everybody did a great job on this episode. Yeah, they they make a powerful combo when you put everyone's work together. Their mom, see, she's giving her options. Like, you know, you don't want to do karate. I've taken every single class that has been <laughs> oh. in this episode. <laughs> All those brochures, you're like, yep, yep, yep. yep. Five in the box. Yeah, I'm like, also, I'm like, when that first happened, I was like, how long has five been there? Like, I, know. I know. Is five like doing anything in the box? Is he just hanging out? He's <laughs> kind of tall, so he's just like. See, and that's the issue with the, sh the, with the show. <laughs> it's like, we want to have it all. We want to have those kind of gags, but it's it's the type of show that's grounded enough that you mm -hmm. do one, you do ask logic questions. Yeah. So sometimes we would just, you know, even if you know that, 
you're asking ironically, you still have the impulse to ask where you would never ask in an episode of like pig goat banana cricket because it's all insane. So Mm -hmm. it was just fun to sometimes surrender to that stuff and say, hey, it's the button of the episode. We're going to put five in the box. We want to be goofy. And then other times, usually if there's like a plot point resting on something or so that it doesn't like take away this the believability of the story that's when we might take a beat to like over explain something mm. or you know just even if even if it's just as a joke because we don't want to break the reality of the story investment and so that's kind of fun there's no right or wrong about it it's just the fun stuff that the whole team would discuss as we went over board reviews because mm-hmm. we always would just decide do we have time for certain gags how can we plus things with visuals and humor and then it was fun to talk about like what breaks the tone of the show what doesn't and one of my favorite buttons I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this Dan but it was from an unaired episode am I allowed to am I allowed to talk about it because it's I was so sad yeah as long as it's not like you know it's the one where um where uh, you find out Miko's dad is a is a is, no. a, is a glitch alien. No, no, no. He's a lizard guy from V. That's what uh, yeah. No, it was it was uh, one of our episodes. The one where Phil dies. Is the one where actually uh, Phil and Inspector said no. Ah, um, uh, uh, yeah. But yeah, no, it was one of our episodes that got cut, and it was the funniest. I, I think it was actually written after the first thumbnail pitch. And it basically, I'm not going to give you any context. It ends with Mitch on the roof of Miko's house, yelling for help, (laughs) yelling for help to get off the roof. Everybody gets stuck inside of a, like a glitch map. And at the end, they all kind of spawn back into the world and the map is inside Miko's house. And so everybody's coming back in weird places around Miko's house. And at the end, nobody questions where Mitch is and the camera just pulls out to the credits and Mitch is on the roof of Miko's house. Like, hello. It's such a great reveal. (laughs) And like many of our gags, it was the solution to a problem. It's so great when you have problems that need solutions and then they lead to fun ideas because I think it was the episode was really tight. We needed to establish that everybody was okay and where they were, but we had to wrap up with Five and Miko. So we couldn't serve every character. And then it sort of became fun, like, well, let's not show where Mitch is. Let's just continue, you know, with the scene that we need to show. And then when we pull back at the end, then we'll reveal where Mitch is with this great joke. Um, it's cool you remember that because it is. it was one of those things where we were like, oh, but is it, is it too goofy, you know? And I think, but the second you see it, usually when you discuss ideas, it's more like that. And then for me, anyway, the second I saw it, like a version of it, I was like, oh yeah, that works. That's fantastic. (laughs) That's so great. I mean, when you are trying to answer those questions of what works, what doesn't, you know, art is so subjective, so it's hard to be definitive. I think ultimately though, when you commit to trying things, which we did a lot just to see, especially when we had another opportunity to do you know, final board, then you stop talking and everyone feels it in their gut. And if it's something that you kind of feel that the audience will enjoy and that it makes sense to them, then it's worth leaving in. If it's something that might disrupt the flow of the show or could be confusing, then there would be a tendency to pull it out. And even then we're guessing, but you're then going more by your gut and by the reactions of other people. You know, we would be very open to 
sort of how the majority felt as well if we were ever on the fence that was that was the best thing oh no Rachel you go go. I was gonna say that's one of the reasons why I love the five in the box moment so much is because it felt like something fun a kid would do like it didn't feel it didn't feel like a forced gag it just felt like yeah my brother and I used to do that too so like, (laughs) like that kind of thing you know yeah one of the greatest things I think about this show and the crew was that we did screenings of the first thumbnail pitch. We are not first thumbnail pitch, but I think the first animatics. We would always screen the first animatics, and the, the Nickelodeon has this fantastic theater that is literally like a, a regular movie theater sized theater, and we would always ask the the people who ran the theater very nicely if we could screen our first animatic reviews there, and we would invite pretty much everybody to come see the animatic and just everyone having that experience and seeing it on a movie theater screen was just so great. And people would sometimes give feedback or you would hear, you get to hear people laugh and it was such a group experience. And sometimes random people would just kind of sneak in to see like, so it was really exciting. And I even remember like when we first did the pilot, I think, or we screened, was it 101 or one? No, it was 103 and 104. I think we did a, we did a back-to-back screening of 103 and 104 at the studio. And I've never seen so many Nick employees packed into this theater. I came in what I thought was a reasonable time. I think I was like, I think I was like a minute before the screening. No, nope, that was like, it's not, not nope. it's not gonna be that packed. And I had to, as someone who worked on the show, I had to sit in the back of the theater yeah. and sit on a couch. Same. And I think I was next to David Steinberg or something. And I was like, oh my God, everybody is here right now. And it was it was yep. great. You just heard everyone laughed and reacted. and everybody loved it. And it was so well, there, good. There were people on the stairs, and I remember there was like people brought their kids. And so there was like a row, it was like total fires, but it was great. There was like a row of kids <laughs> in the front, <laughs> just sitting on the floor. And yeah, then was everybody like, was like sitting all on the stairs and people were sitting in the chairs and the sofas and people Turtles were Turtles crew was there, Loud House crew, yeah. um, just our friends for, I mean, we loved everybody. It was like, you know, we loved security and IT and we used to all talk to everybody. And so it yeah, it really was like a family party and it was a big family. Yeah. So we ended up adding additional screenings to make sure that yeah, the people crew saw and there. that others could see. Yeah, so we added additional. It, it, yeah, it was pretty special. Everything then becomes like a boiling down process as you go through subsequent animatics. And that happens, A, because of notes. So you would get your network notes, which I'm proud to say were really great on this show. They were always really smart and efficient. But then the majority of the notes would come from ourselves, Eric and I and the department heads and what we wanted to hone in on. But then also just general opinion. Everyone who was at those screenings went to lunch and they talked and they came back and they had opportunity in our note sessions or in hallway conversations to approach and say, you know, we were watching and we were thinking this or that. And, you know, it's really hard to organize all that input, but we were able to do it for the most part when the reviews were very long, but it would all chip away. And there was also a necessity that you almost always had to refine it for time and stuff like that. Because we were always quite a few minutes long and needed to trim back. So sometimes we were looking for any way to do that without losing anything of quality. What got lost in this episode, I think, was more to do with Miko's parents and their approach with Lexi, they were putting more direct pressure on her in the beginning and pressure on Miko because we had originally set up that in the living room of the house, there were like all these trophies that so many of the kids in the family had won, but Miko didn't have that. Miko's trophies were virtual 
and they almost didn't count, which is why you still have that thing at the end. But ultimately, we didn't want to play the family as needing to learn a lesson or being wrong-minded in the pressure. So we trimmed away at it, not just for time, but also because, I don't know, you've seen versions of that story before. And it was much sweeter to just say like, hey, they just don't get it. They're just trying to support her. And Lexi's being harder on herself. And that's what makes it a character story. She's not the victim of some villainous parents who, who you know, are being harsh on her. It's, it was Lexi's problem. And because she and Miko were not aligned in their thinking, and there's not even really a huge lesson to the story. It's just that they have their personalities. And over time, Lexi's put in a situation where she really can't think. And she button mashes successfully based on what she learned from Five and Nico. She takes on the boss. It, and, it feels you know. like such a natural story, though, between siblings, because I'm like, I feel like it's not exaggerated to really create. It's not forced, you know, like it just feels like it's like, I mean, yes, there's like tech and all of that involved. You know, the, the magic of glitch text is part of the story, but it's also really it's just this is a normal situation between sisters, like one sister asking the other to help them out one of them getting frustrated, the other realizing that they might have made a mistake and then going to support that sister. Like, I think that's what, even though it's like, maybe there are certain things like missing it, that in itself makes it feel more organic because it's like, you know, that's just how it is. Like, that's just how it is between siblings and, and, and parents. And it's, I think it works well for the story. I really loved shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, and the original few Star Trek series, because They sort of exampled shows that the shows weren't about the premise. The premise was amazing and high concept, but the stories are about characters and you use the premise as tools to tell character stories. That's the trick. If you let the premise take over, you could have something super cool, but it may not resonate with people and you can't explore characters as deeply as opposed to saying, how can we use video game mechanics and the love of video game culture to just kind of show how these kids are feeling and work that out with this like really amazing backdrop. So that was always the bar we tried to set. And sometimes I think we almost always hit it in some form. Sometimes we stay up there and sometimes we dip down and you just do your best, but it's nice to have something to shoot for. And then we're just supported by the most amazing visuals and talent in the world. D Baker is Miko's dad and we should shout out to him because he's so sweet. And then the part was kind of written for him because when I was working at Dawn of the Crudes, he would always be just talking about his daughters. And Dee is a super nerd. And yet he plays like really heavy characters a lot and creatures. He does. Um, I was going to say, he's like, he's like he's the guy. Man. I was going to say, yeah. if you've ever heard like any animal in cartoons, it's most likely Dee Bradley Baker. Like, yeah, I, mean, I think he's like Appa and Momo and Avatar. Like anytime you hear yeah. like, that's like D. That's D. Baker. <laughs> I mean, he yeah. he um he does a lot of creature work on Glitch, and the creatures that I do, I learned from really watching him. So, <laughs> but yeah, it was so cool to be able to say like, yeah, but I I know just D. as this as this nerdy dad, and it's it'd be so nice to have him just come in and kind of be himself a little bit. So I always love that, and I I think steph and d together are fantastic did you guys record together or did we, we did. do separately good i couldn't remember we did, especially because well not not in this episode but i think in like especially in the first episode when there are the chaotic 
breakfast morning scenes and stuff. Oh, yeah. We sometimes would just, I think we like ad lib improv, the unscripted stuff going on in the background of the chaos of the family morning. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, that overlap is so great when it's natural. You can force that in an edit. In puppetry stuff I've done, you have to force that a lot sometimes. But it's magical when it happens at the same time. And only people who can sit there and listen to the difference will notice, I think. The audience may not be conscious of it, but subconsciously it comes through. Little details like that. Good tips. I would love to pick your brain about directing sometime, Stephanie. Sure. Anytime. I don't know that I'm, <laughs> I just do what I do. I, and then that's valid on what other people do in any approach. I've always been like, well, this works for me, but whatever works for you. I agree. I don't think there's like a set way. It's just interesting to share experiences. Yeah. And then if you're like me, you're also just open to the actor. It's like, oh, there's what I'm comfortable with. And there's, there's what this person seems to like. So being open to that you maybe learn something from it and then you do whatever. It's like your job to just try to make actors as comfortable as possible and get where you need them to get. That's also, I mean, that is my philosophy as well. Not every director's philosophy, you know. No, it's not. (laughs) You know what? The cool thing is in animation and VO, I feel like for the most part, I don't know why, but I do feel like I have more often than not the experience of, people who want to be nurturing and who do believe that yeah. a comfortable environment results in a better creative product for everybody involved. Absolutely. But I don't know if that's true when we move outside the, the animation sphere. I think that in maybe in some places in Hollywood, there are some camps that believe that you must show your strength or you know what I mean or you must like use intimidation or whatever but I find that just generally in animation and VO it's that's not really the case but that's why we did an episode like alpha leader because I mean I've literally had advice from people who I saw as really amazing mentors some really established directors telling me never let them see you sweat and you have to you have to maintain authority at all times or your crew's gonna walk all over you And I remember just looking at them thinking, wow, I'm so honored to talk to you about this. And I don't, I really don't agree with anything you're saying. Um, That sounds like a real old fuddy-duddy way of seeing things. My takeaway was, you know, just you need to have a certain air of confidence. Don't panic and completely come apart. But yeah, I mean, being nurturing and then also allowing other people input and finding something to me, that's the art of it. And the rest is engineering. I never understood why you need to be a rigid pillar instead of one that's flexible. Because even in, in engineering, even in that metaphor, it's the buildings that are, that are earthquake proof that are going to stay up, right? You got yeah. to, you can't, you, you can't be, be rigid. You got to move a little bit. You don't move at all, it's going to go poof. Uh, yeah. we, we, we all live in LA, so we all understand yeah. the yes. earthquake safe <laughs> movement yeah. of tall buildings. Yes, we've experienced <laughs> this. To be very fair to some of the directors too, a lot of it has to do with the environment and, you know, there are some directors who they have to check, even in VO, it's like you have to check boxes, you have to get a certain amount of lines in a certain amount of time, they may not be creatively invested, so they're doing their best to kind of get the job done, and that's fine, you know, like there's no villainy in that or anything, it's just that you know, it's it's less artistic and it's just a little bit more efficient, and you can still get a great product, it's just that it's 
up to the artists on their own to hit that target as closely as possible in a very short amount of time. Very true. Yeah, and actually, Rachel, I wanted to ask you too, because you also, along with production coordination, you ended up doing some like script coordination towards the end as well, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was helping with the final format scripts and everything at the very end there. <laughs> so were you in the record sessions as well? Or like, what did that? Involve? Yeah, I actually, yeah, I did a lot of the ADR. I was with in a lot of the ADR meetings after the episodes were locked. So like after animation was done, we would go in and then do additional lines that need to be recorded or for retakes or things like that. And so, yeah, I was in a lot of those meetings when we would sit down with the audio editor and just say, okay, what do we need to re-record? What's missing? What has just some scratch dialogue still? And so I would mark down all that stuff in the script. And then we would go to the record sessions with the actors and either re-record or record lines that had scratch audio after the fact. So yeah, that was a lot of the stuff I did after in the last bit there. <laughs> also, fun fact, Rachel and I both did a lot of scratch on oh yeah on show. <laughs> and it was really fun um, amazing scratch kind of tag team miko scratch and other characters and there was one episode i think rachel you'd scratched a character and i couldn't even tell sometimes because <laughs> you did the voice so similar to the character i was i think it was 116 yeah collection uh, quest yeah 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 pet training yeah you had done the scratch for one of the for the felicia day character and i was like oh my god rachel's like scratch is like so it would flip flop it was so dead on so it was great scratch is so much fun and it does lead sometimes to voice roles so that's always yeah when the show is inclusive too and everybody's invested and likes each other there's not a ton of ego because it can be sensitive to have you know felicia comes in records her lines then she leaves we have to do some pickups before we can af afford to bring her back in to officially redo her lines we're experimenting so people come in do scratch and so let's say rachel came in scratched a line, found an energy that was really great. It inspired the board. Now Felicia comes back in and we do a few takes where she does her version of that line as she's looking at the animatic so that she can bring that flavor. And then sometimes we'll also say, look, I mean, with no disrespect, we had this line scratched. It's pretty fun. And take a look and see what you think if you can come closer to that. And then we would decide to use it or not. And Felicia was somebody who's like, oh, I see what she did there. I like that. I'll do it. As opposed to, oh, why are you trying to manipulate me? You know, everyone's just trying to get to the same place. Mm -hmm. And if there was something that she tried or didn't like or whatever, we'd be open to that as well. But it was really great how everybody just respected what everyone else did and that everyone also just did their best. So Rachel and, and Katie, they have amazing writing talent and they also have great instinct and did wonderful scratch for us and you know Katie's doing voices on her other show right now and it can be a great way to get into the business and if you're somebody at home who wants to be in VO I always say please try to produce for yourself if at all possible try to help your friends who might need voice talent because you learn by doing and you just kind of also you get in by way of letting people see what you can do and then lastly, if all else fails, go into stand-up comedy. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's the right suggestion, but <laughs> did you, so, you know, Gray Delisle, right? Yes. Very yeah. accomplished, super talented, established voice actress. She, like a few years ago, started doing stand-up because she's also very, very funny. Oh my God, And yeah. then one of the things, I don't know if you've seen her stand-up, she was doing it various places, but one of the places was Flappers in downtown Perfect. And one of the things that she started out saying was she's like, oh, yeah, you know, 
I started doing stand-up to further my voiceover career. <laughs> I've never met Gray. Is Gray Delilah or Gray Griffin? I'm not sure, but I've never met. I've never she goes met by her, both. She's gone but, by both. Yeah. yeah, I've never met her, but she she did do voices on one of the shows I, I was on. I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but I never got to meet her. But I remember the script coordinator on my show who met her said she is one of the most wonderful fun high energy just like a nice person like she does so much voice work and I've just heard that she is like a really great great person to be around I don't know very bright and yeah I think it's impossible to be like sad or down in her presence that's very true she's a very upbeat laughing and she is very funny but adding on to the whole scratch thing Eric Bauza who does a lot of VO now and I think is mostly a known as like a voice actor started out not on that side yes that's right he's an artist yeah Mm -hmm. and then he would just like do some voices or do some scratch or like help out and do some voices and he also was doing stand-up comedy I feel you have to be putting yourself out there creatively in a few ways rather than only try to get representation and, and dive in I mean that's wonderful if you can do it but it's so much better if representation can come to you or if you don't even necessarily need it because you're around people who know what you can do and they just reach out to you when they can or tell you about opportunities that's the most organic way for you not only to have an opportunity but I think also to learn and try things and see if you even like it so many people want to go into VO I think without even really knowing if it's something they ultimately would really want to do I mean it sounds great to be on a cartoon but no job is for everybody So it's great if you just try stuff first. No one will know. Do it at home in front of your webcam, you know, or in front of the mirror. See if this is something you enjoy. If you have a passion for performing too, like I feel like you know, I don't know. I was a theater kid and theater kids have that. There's just an energy I feel like theater kids have that's just like (laughs) kind of like it it is ADHD and I'm not trying to say all theater kids are ADHD, but it does help. It does help. (laughs) (laughs) Just a high energy, but also, I mean, I would say like getting some theater practice of some kind. I did UCB. I did theater in college. And then after college, I moved back home and I was staying with my parents and I was kind of like, oh, what do I want to do? And I remember one of like my fondest memories in college was doing improv. And so I found UCB, which is an improv school. And I started just doing improv with no intention of doing anything, but just like going and having fun and playing. And I ended up making my closest friend group today as an adult, I met through UCB. And I also just, I feel like I got a lot of experience from doing like professionally taught improv and it's a great, I mean, just going to classes and learning things and no matter what type of theater it is, whether it's improvisational yeah. theater or whether it's traditional theater, like it's just good to like get that kind of skill. Yeah. Teaching. Cause like, even, even if it's not improv, like I'm not great at improv, but I do agree that like having that experience with performance and like, I was in theater as a kid and, and in college as well. And there's an energy that comes from that, that you don't, it's hard to describe, but it's just like that when you're on stage or when you're in front of an audience, you're producing something live Mm -hmm. for them. There's a different kind of energy than if you're just sitting in your room writing, or if you're just dreaming of like that far off career somewhere, you know? Yes. It puts you in that room. It connects you and whatever job you're looking to pursue, it will have a profound effect on it you'll learn what it is to put a show together, to perform it, to be around other creative people and to overlap with them. It's not something you need to be good at. It's just something you need to be exposed to. I think it'll make you a better director, editor, even an artist, because 
all these talents are based on like just observing and having a certain amount of empathy and understanding how that can be then constructed and you know how in any form I know that sounds really deconstructive but just trust me it's something that you'll feel as it's happening and definitely when you look back on it so it's pretty much required that you pursue something like that just to open yourself up to it I don't know what the saying is but it's something like when you spend a hundred hours what what is it like they say it's, it mostly applies oh to yes I, I think it's actually two thousand hours 2, yeah it's like ten thousand yeah. hours yeah. which is an insane amount of hours but it's ten years it's yeah. such like ten up? years you spend ten years on something you'll probably get pretty good at it you know what else it is? It's XP. <laughs> there you go. You, you just level up, you know, and you just check the boxes on the character sheet. And some of them you don't even know you're unlocking these buried achievements you didn't even realize. But yes, so that and that's why it helps, yeah, just to pursue these things you're interested in and make those hours and earn that time. So it helps to be a little compulsive, a little obsessive. If you can wake up in the morning and decide not to pursue your creative goals, it's not that it won't work out for you, it totally could, but like you almost can relax and concentrate on other things. If it's something you are compelled to do, I'm sure that not only will you achieve it in some way, but it's also great to be able to say you're already a voice artist, even at like 13 years old, if that's what you do all day or that's what you do a couple times a week. And it's just a matter of time of you getting better at it and then other people seeing what you can do and encouraging you and developing with you. That is the truth. That you don't really truth. become an actor or a board artist or in anything else. You just kind of are one and you go from level one to the higher levels as you go. Yeah, it's more that you realize, oh, this is an actual job that adults do, this thing that I've been doing all the time. Oh, I could get paid for this. Oh, this is great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'll just do that. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. So let's then talk about, speaking of cool things that you guys do, cool things that you're doing that's coming up for you that you're working on. So Rachel, we'll start off with you. What cool things are you working on and where can people find you online? Yeah, so I'm working on a bunch of different things, just creative projects. I'm currently revising a novel that I'm hoping to start pitching this year. And then I'm also working on a short comic with one of my good friends and collaborators, Lauren Matson. So we're hoping Woo! to release that this year at some point. So I'll probably announce it on social media when that's ready. <laughs> and both are very good. You've let me see both of them. They're great, everybody. So definitely check them out. <laughs> <laughs> and then on social media, where are you? Oh, What's yeah. Uh, on Twitter, it's at Evergreena. It's Evergreen with an A on the end. And then my website is rachelkimberlyhastings.com. Awesome. Thank you much. So we look forward to that. And then Stephanie, you're always working on cool things. Now, let me ask you, are you allowed to say yet I don't what you're I, working I, on? I think all the really, the stuff that I'm currently working on, I probably can't talk about. But I guess I can plug something I worked on basically a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, how long it takes. <laughs> uh, there's a few films that I worked on this past year in terms of like directing. They're all anime dubs, but there's a movie called Ride Your Wave on HBO Max. That's a really beautiful moving tale. And then by the same animation director, there's another film also on HBO Max called 
Night is Short Walk On Girl. Oh, cool. Is it a voice and, in that? Oh, uh, I don't know. I'm not a voice in that. I directed it. I, oh, my gosh. I, I wrote the script. I adapted the script. And I voice directed it. And oh yes, we did record oh. all the songs. That is so cool. Wow. wow. There's a musical within the movie. They like put on a musical in the movie. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love Night is Short. I can't even, I just love Yuasa, the guy who directed both of these films. They're both very different. Ride Your Wave is this really, it's a really moving tale, but it's also very strange. That has a lot about the themes in there has a lot to do with like about loss, but also mm. about finding yourself and who you are, you know, and maybe even potentially losing your identity in a relationship and mm. then having to figure out who you are outside of a relationship and stuff like that. And there is that one has one song in it that gets played over and over and over and over again. But there is one song and yes, we did dub it. But Night is Short, Walk On Girl is about a young girl who basically drinks her way through Tokyo. <laughs> and, wow. Um, it's so hard to describe. It's so... I've heard, like, really good things about it. I still haven't even seen it myself, but everybody raves that it's, like, so... The animation is really good, and it's a great story. Yeah, the story is really amazing, but it's almost indescribable. So I remember, like, when I was directing the cast, you know, they would just, like, come in and see their part. And half of them were like, what is going on? And <laughs> people who just came in to do like incidentals and Walla, they were like, oh my God, that was the most fun Walla I've ever done. <laughs> you know? But they're like, I don't know what's going on. So when the movie got released on HBO Max, we did just our own little cast watch party type of situation. And everyone who was in it was like, oh, like, that's cool. Like, no <laughs> way I would have figured that out. So I'd come together. Yeah, but, you know, like, one of the characters' names is Dawn Underwear. <laughs> because he, like, and this is this gets revealed very early on in films without ruining anything, because he met a girl and missed his opportunity to say something to this girl. But he, when they were sitting across from each other, two apples fell on both of their heads. Each apple fell at the exact same time and bounced off their head. And he thought, oh, like, what are the chances this has to be fate. So this must be my destiny. Did not verbalize anything. And then she disappeared. So now he's like on this quest to find this girl again. And he has, you know, like in, he went to Japanese shrine and sometimes like you make a wish and you make like a sacrifice or an exchange for his wish. And his vow was to not change his underwear until he- Oh no. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my gosh. Oh my like God. One tiny story element of like many in this film that are equally hysterical and strange. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So. Yeah. Oh wow. I'm absolutely watching that after this uh, record <laughs> is over. That's the night is long walk on girl, right? Yeah, that's that yeah, yeah, night. Is, yeah, night is I long honestly, walk. I think I'm gonna watch it tonight because I like <laughs> I've been meaning to watch it for so long. They did a screening of it at Nickelodeon, and I I missed it somehow, and I was so bummed. But everybody is always like, "Oh, it's so good." So yeah, mm -hmm. I definitely want to check it out. That's great. So so you direct, you act, you sing, you write. You do it all, Stephanie. You do it all. I wear a lot of hats, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And tell us your social media handles. It's just my name on, I'm mostly on Twitter. I like, I almost never on my public Facebook, but it's just at Stephanie Shea is my Twitter handle. And then it, on Instagram, I'm 
the number two, and then my last name, Shay. It's a pun. <laughs> to Shay. I'm not on there that much because I'm just like, it's hard to keep up with, you know, there's so much beauty expectation on Instagram and it's so visually based. It's so hard for me to, especially with this past year of pandemic living. I'm in the same boat with Instagram. If you do it that way, then you should be like, let's just be real. Here's what's actually happening, everybody. I think people would appreciate <laughs> I, that. I mean, I get, I guess so. But also, like, there was a point when I started looking at the metrics of my Instagram. Like, every once in a while, like, look at my metrics on Instagram and Twitter. And, like, Twitter, you know, it fluctuates. I figure it's bots and it's very stable. But, like, the Instagram followers are freaking, they're fickle, man. <laughs> they're so fickle. Like, if you're not, like, constantly producing content and making beautiful images, it's just a lot of pressure, dude. It's just feeding wow. the machine constantly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, check out the films that Stephanie worked on and her very, very good posts on Twitter. Katie, <laughs> what hey. is going on in your world? Oh, my favorite part. Yes, <laughs> I know it's your favorite part. We've discussed handles. it before. <laughs> um, so I worked on a show called Battle Kitty, is being made by Matt Lazell, where I got to do a voice uh, and maybe a couple more. We'll see. And I am currently working on a project called My Dad, the Bounty Hunter, which is being done by Everett Downing and Patrick Harpin. It's a really, really cool show. It's about a dad who's a bounty hunter in space and his kids stow away with him and they go on some crazy adventures and it's going to be amazing. I'm really, really stoked to be on the crew. And both of those shows are being done by Netflix. That's what I'm doing right now. And, you know, fun stuff. Oh, and I'm a storyboard coordinator. Sorry, that's, that's my job. That's that's the thing I do. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I coordinate the storyboard and animatics, uh, which basically just means I get to work really closely with board artists and animatic editors. And I love working with board artists. They're all really cool from both shows. And when I work with animatic editors, that I get to kind of do scratch sometimes when they need it. So that's also really fun. I've, I've done scratch for both Battle Kitty and Dad, and uh, it's, it's a fun time. Scratch is delightful very pro scratch yes and where can people find you online say it with pride katie say it with pride own it you can find me on instagram at katie shag nasty i hate myself oh, uh, no, I, no i don't no, love i, don't. You, I love myself <laughs> but yeah i'm mostly on instagram i'd say follow me for i don't know videos of dogs i just like reposted videos of dogs and rants about anime I don't know what I put I'm like literally I'm like what's on my Instagram story right now I think it was a dog I saw at a store today and I was like look at this dog so if you really like that kind of stuff that's the content I will give you um, <laughs> I will also post a lot of stuff about upcoming Netflix shows and things like that so there's some animation stuff in there don't worry it's not just all me screaming about dogs um, <laughs> but if that's what you want it's there I'm also on Twitter at another great handle Lady Katie Shags. My last name is Shaughnessy, which is why the shag is thrown around yes. in my handles. If you know um, how to spell Shaughnessy, then Shag Nasty makes total sense. It looks like a, it looks like my last name. But, yeah, uh, it's clever. Again, I post almost nothing on Twitter, but follow me for retweets of dog stuff, more dog stuff, and animation, <laughs> and I don't know, again, rants, fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, those are my handles. If you like dogs and animation, <laughs> Katie's Instagram and there Twitter. You, there you go. See, see. Video game stuff in there too sometimes. There you go. <laughs> and then Dan. I feel like Dan, every time I talk to you, you're working on like 18 different. I'm waiting just to be like, 
Dan Milano power hour of just it's, every show that you're currently working on. It's overwhelming and scary sometimes because you feel like, oh my gosh, how are you going to do all this stuff? But we have so much help and there's so many cool things and they rarely all happen at the same exact time. But the big project that has most of my attention is Wings of Fire, which my wife Krista Starr and I are adapting with Ava DuVernay for Warner Brothers. And that's been announced and more details are going to be coming very soon. We've been working on it really hard. Also, will be an announcement soon about two other interesting properties that I'm working on with uh, Eric Robles and Ian Graham from Glitch Text and Scott Kakuda, our art director, is on one of them. And it's actually a, something that, that he has created that we are trying to produce for him. And anyway, that's the fun stuff. You can find me at Dan Milano on Twitter. And I got back into Twitter around the time, I think in like 2018, 2019, and I started communicating with people in animation and our base. Oh, um, I should say too that a show that I was producing way back in like the early 2000s, Greg the Bunny, a lot of old Greg the Bunny episodes are coming out on um, Shout Factory TV hey, next month. Great. And wow. we just did a reunion show, like with the original creators and myself, my two creative partners. We got to talk about it for the first time in like 10 years. It was super fun. And those are like very, when I was saying, hey, do the thing you love, these were our VHS and early DV tapes wait, that wait. we made with puppets and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Katie's got a copy of the Fox show. Eventually, Greg the Bunny became a, a series on Fox. But the episodes Shout is running were made before and after the Fox series. Oh. There have been many versions of the show over the years. And so they're really fun. But it began as just like, you know, really rough, goofy stuff that we made when we were out of college. And to go back and revisit it is really special. I've been talking so much, but to wrap up, my Twitter feed is really the best place to reach me. My DMs are, are usually open, and I do try to respond to absolutely everybody, although it takes me some time. And mostly I just retweet stuff from interesting people who share information about art. It's my personal account, so sometimes I'll gripe about things. Mostly I'm very <laughs> optimistic, and I try to just share stuff that my show friends are doing. Like my good buddy, Drew Massey, who's got a show called Brendar the Barbarian premiering on. Oh, actually, it's called The Barbarian and the Troll. And it's a puppet series that's going to be out on Nickelodeon next month. Hey, that's cool. Yeah, it's awesome. I consulted quite a bit on it early on. So I feel like I can plug it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sounds good. See, friends helping friends. Awesome. Always. Well, well yeah, well, hey. Everyone, I'm so glad that all of you were on this episode today. It was super fun talking with you. And also, I also love the after show where we talk about other things in the industry. And I really like the conversation on voice acting because that's a huge, huge, huge thing that so many people want to be a part of. And just having all of you, you know, especially you, Stephanie and Dan and Katie and Rachel be able to talk about not only the voice acting part, but the directing of it, Scratch, Walla, these are all very important things, you know, acting, improv, all oh, it's great. So thanks again for coming on the show, everybody. And thank you to everyone who listened to the episode and watched along with us. And until next time, be well, be safe, and we will see you again. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>